We are in a series entitled um, Join Christ. Hashtag Join Christ. We're sort of like in the middle of it. Halfway done. Our goal is to be finished by Easter. Easter is only a month away. Did you know that? Time keeps rolling. The letter to the Christians in Philippi was written by the Apostle Paul. And I've entitled today just simply, No One Like Him. No One Like Him. But those are the words of Paul in the section that we're going to look at today. But it wasn't referencing Paul himself. He was referencing a friend of his who was in ministry. This is a historic week for me as a young man. I'm still young. I see myself that way. It was a historic week for many of you. February 21st, 2018, marked the passing of Billy Graham into eternity. 99 years old. The reason it's historic and memorable for me is because he intersected with my life at two strategic times. The first time was when I was eight years old, somewhere around there. My family would watch Billy Graham Crusades. Now, I'm mindful of the younger generation, you're oblivious to who Billy Graham is, even young adults. When you think about when he stopped his active uh, crusade ministry, which is doing big events and stadiums, he was one of the first people for radio and television but he really was referred to as America's evangelist. And uh, I actually had the opportunity to go to two crusades. How many of you have been to one of his crusades here? All right. It was all the older folks. Did you notice that? <laughs> but uh, back in my day, you didn't have cable networks. You didn't have multiple channels. You had to get up. You had to change the TV on your own. And... Uh, we would watch something, and we would have family time. Sometimes we have family devotions. And um, my mom, my dad, and there were five of us siblings. And I remember one particular day they came in, and they got up, and they turned the channel right in the middle of my show. I'm like, what? And we ended up watching Billy Graham on television at one of his big crusades. And as he began to preach God's word, I decided I would stay in the room because it looked bad with my folks if I left, right? And God used Billy Graham to speak into my life at a very young age that I needed Jesus to be my leader. I needed Jesus to be my savior. And he spoke on eternal lostness at some point during that message. And all I could think as I looked around my room is if the rest of my family is going to heaven, I need to make sure I go to heaven too. I don't want to be left behind. And I remember leaving from the corner chair. I could take you to where that chair is at in my mom's house to this very day. I walked up the rickety old stairs to the top bedroom. I laid in a uh, twin bed that was over by uh, the one south uh, bay window. And I laid there and I cried and I said, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I want you to come into my life. I want you to be my savior. 
Now, there were other strategic points in my life where I surrendered to Christ, but that's the first time I personally remember is watching a Billy Graham crusade. And I was so moved because at the end of every Billy Graham crusade, what's the song that's sung? Just as I am without one plea. And tears started to swell up. And you saw this mass of people get up from the stadiums. We're talking football stadiums, baseball stadiums, right? Convention center kind of places. And flood to the front to receive Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. It was a passing of an error this week. Billy Graham met his eternal reward. There are different commentaries. Actually, this whole week is full of things. I just thought I would show one uh, commentary. I think it's from Fox News or whatever. But this gives you a little bit of a flavor of something I just want to position before us today because this idea there is no one like him applies to this man that served for 99 years in one sense on this earth. Two roads. There's the broad road that leads to destruction and judgment, and there's the other road that leads to heaven. He preached to more people than anyone in history. And followed Jesus. Let him lead you home. An evangelist who touched tens of millions, called by some the Protestant Pope. The world was his pulpit. I never dreamed there would ever be a night like this in my life. The Reverend Billy Graham said he first felt the Spirit at age 16 after hearing an evangelist preach in Charlotte, North Carolina. Soon after, Graham left his family's dairy farm and went to Bible College in Florida, where he started preaching on the streets of Tampa. They have a place there where this saloon keeper threw me out into a ditch and told me never to come back. Graham received a warmer reception from Ruth Bell. The two married in 1943, and as their family grew, so did his ministry. There are problems of sin and habit that cannot be solved outside the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. A 1949 California tent revival drew national attention. Israel did not obey the voice of God. Israel wandered further and further from God. Around the world, crowds began filling stadiums, coming to hear a lively new message about Jesus Christ and his heavenly father. I want to tell you about God. Graham became a confidant of presidents. He has counseled or met with every U.S. president from Harry Truman to Barack Obama. Shall we pray? He's been a fixture at several inaugural events, praying at four official presidential inaugurations. Although he was asked many times to run for office, Graham said he was never tempted. He just wanted to preach, which he did into his early 90s. I have no plans to retire. The Lord may have plans. But Parkinson's disease slowed him down. I think God has sent it to me at this age to show me that I'm totally dependent on him. And when I go into the pulpit to preach, I may uh, have to have a little bit of help getting to the pulpit. But when I get there, I can sense the presence and power of the Lord. Following the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, Reverend Graham was called upon to help comfort a grieving nation. I've been asked hundreds of times in my life why God allows tragedy and suffering. I have to confess that I really do not know the answer, totally, even to my own satisfaction. I have to accept by faith that God is sovereign and he's a God of love and mercy and compassion in the midst of suffering. 
Throughout his life, the man known as America's pastor continued to preach a simple message to accept Jesus Christ. My father is very clear in, in giving people an opportunity to accept by faith and to invite Jesus Christ into their hearts, into their lives. On his 95th birthday, Reverend Billy Graham delivered his final sermon through a pre-recorded video message shown in churches and other outlets around the world, taking his message to a new generation. He loves you, willing to forgive you of all your sins. Graham lived his life with a sense of humility and integrity that endeared him to millions worldwide, reaching hundreds of millions in person, on television and across the airwaves, especially the nearly 215 million who witnessed Graham preach. He spoke with conviction, and he spoke with passion, and he spoke in simplicity. Anybody could understand him. And he knew enough to know what are some common threads in human nature. With Graham's death, his ministry officially passes on to his family, his son Franklin and daughter Anne. What started in a tent more than a half century ago has turned into the largest ministry in the world. Billy Graham's long active life has come to an end, but his legacy lives on. But if you remember nothing that I say tonight except one thing I want you to remember, God loves you. Lauren Green, Fox News. So one of the key reasons that I wanted to pause and sort of weave Billy Graham into what we're talking about today is because here we are walking our way through a letter from a man of God by the name of the Apostle Paul. Paul was the greatest missionary that this world has ever seen. Cold Turkey going into parts and regions of the world um, that had never heard the name of Jesus Christ at all. We look back on a letter that the Apostle Paul gave and said, wow, wouldn't it have been neat to have met Paul? Wouldn't it have been neat to sit underneath Paul's preaching? Well, the reason my heart's been burned in one sense, and even for the younger generation or young adults, is because you will not have had the opportunity to sit underneath the ministry of one like a Billy Graham, who to me, and for many others, is like an Apostle Paul. He preached face-to-face to over 215 million people. That doesn't count radio and television like how it impacted my life. He was faithful growing up, and maybe that's why I like him as well. He grew up on a farm. God called him off the farm, and he was an evangelist to the nations. Now, I'm not making him out to be God. He's not Jesus. He's not some super Christian because, as mentioned, he walks very humbly with the Lord. But every generation, there's the passing of people and individuals who are faithful servants to Christ, who are having a major influence on others. And it may not be that you have an influence like a Billy Graham preaching to over 215 million people and seeing how many people come to place faith in Christ. It may be you have the opportunity to influence just one other person in life. But all of us, as referenced from last week when we were studying here in Philippians, are called to let our light shine. Let me go back and look at what we looked at last week. Philippians 2.12, after Paul exhorts us that our attitude should be the same of Christ Jesus, who gave his very life to be able to lead people to God, said this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
We said last week, it doesn't mean work for your salvation. It means work out your salvation. If you are a believer in Christ, if you have been saved, then you need to be busy. Not busy doing to earn, you know, uh, credits with God for something or to earn your way into heaven. No, you are saved by grace through faith. But your salvation means you are called into growing in your faith and using your faith to influence other people. And so whether it's a Billy Graham, 99 years old, still seeking to be faithful to God when he passed away uh, quietly and without pain in his sleep at 7.45 a.m. on Wednesday morning, and he got to pass from this life to the next, absent from the body, present with the Lord, or whether it's just in this small era of time that you've been given, God wants you to work out your salvation and be an influence for him. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. You invited the spirit of Jesus in you. If you're a believer, you can't keep the spirit of Jesus quiet. That wasn't part of the deal. Oh, Jesus, come into my life. Hush, hush, no. I don't want you to be broken for the lost. I don't want you to care about those who aren't following after you. I don't want you to use me. I'm just, I'm fine. I'm saved. I'm not going to just sit around and wait for you to come back or for me to pass away. No, the spirit of Jesus is in you. And he wants to use you, work through you for his good purposes. And what are those good purposes? Paul's exhorting them to don't be grumbling and complaining in the church. But become blameless and pure children of God without fault in this crooked and depraved generation. And then he exhorts in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. I said Billy Graham intersected with me at two different places. I told you the intersection of when I committed my life to Christ. I'm going to tell you the other one here in a little bit. But it has to do with being obedient to what Paul says in this verse. In which you shine like stars in the universe as you and you and you and you, each one of us hold out the word of life. Now, the term evangelist, it's actually one of the fivefold rules. God's called us to be called some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Evangelist means you're a steward of the good news, the evangel. Is the word for the good news. And the good news is that you can have your sins forgiven, that Christ can come into your life, you can have a, have, have a pathway to fullness and freedom in Him. And yeah, and then you live with Him for eternity. The good news is not about what you need to do, but about what Christ has done, the evangel. And so an evangelist who's someone who takes the good news and doesn't beat somebody over the head like Frank up here. Ow. You're stronger than that. I know that. It's someone who says exactly what Billy Graham said there at that last part of that video clip. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. God loves you. And our world needs to understand that God loves people. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. What? Through him. The evangel, the good news. And you may not identify yourself as an evangelist. Oh, you know, Jamie's up here a little fearful of even giving announcements kind of thing. It's awkward to be in front of people. We all identify with that, right? And 
you know, it's like, well, I can't be an evangelist. Well, you may not be the called to be an evangelist, but you are called to give witness. For the Holy Spirit that dwells within you wants to live through you and speak with you so that you can shine like a star in this very dark universe and hold out the word of life. Question, are you actively seeking to do that in your life? I ask myself that every week. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to, right? It's my vocation. Friends, don't believe it. People in the ministry, they can sort of just sort of melt away into the word work and just do their job, but not have a passion and heart for people who are lost. To encourage people, some of you are here who never crossed the line of faith. You've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Is my heart endeared towards you? Lord, break my heart for people that need freedom and hope in you. Are you actively seeking to be a carrier of the evangel, an evangelist. Billy Graham is an evangelist to the nations as well. 215 million people, 185 different countries, the number of years, uh, decades that he was involved in crusades. He gave his life to it. I remember when I was in youth camp. One year we had a summer youth camp. And on our way to youth camp, there was a, there was a really uh, popular singer who had died. His name was Keith Green. Maybe you remember Keith Green? And I remember my youth pastor standing up while we were grieving this. Hey, man, we really liked his music. Great music. You listen to Keith Green music. And he challenged us as young people. Who's going to take Keith Green's place? Could it be that even out of a church, a small church in Temecula like the Awakening, that God would speak and say, who's going to take Billy Graham's place? Nobody can replace Billy Graham. It's understood that way. He really was uh, one of a kind. No one like him. But what about in your neighborhood, in your school? Could God be calling you to be more aggressive? Not only with living Jesus, but in speaking Jesus to people. How are you shining like a star in the universe as you hold out the word of life? It goes on and says, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I not run or labor for nothing. Remember the reason that we call this joy in Christ? Paul's in prison. And he has... Tremendous joy in prison as he's writing this letter to those who are not in prison. Because he sees how God's using his prison time to bring people to Jesus. And even how he's using his prison time to encourage churches like that in Philippi to be able to be uh, evangelists of the gospel. He knew that God was working. And he didn't want that work to be squelched in any way. And so he said, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that he didn't run or labor for nothing. It's like, hey, we're all in this together. Who is it that God has on your heart? Who are you praying for that doesn't know Jesus? We had a great group around here uh, yesterday morning. We had about 20 20, uh, people, it was, um, circled up in here talking about prayer and intercession and how we pray effectively for people. How we pray effectively for people to see their lives changed through Jesus Christ. How we intercede for them. 
whether as a family member for another family member or a friend for a friend, maybe a co-worker, whatever it may be. Who has God put on your heart to even begin just praying about? Lord, I pray that they would come to a place of knowing you. And then maybe God uses you to, to encourage them through acts of kindness or just being with them, caring for them. Maybe in a strategic place and time, they need to hear the gospel of Jesus from God's word. God can use you. And you know what? Some of you have had this great privilege. When you have the opportunity to be used by God to help lead somebody to Jesus, it not only makes your day, it makes your life. You know, that's for eternity. That's for eternity. I was sharing with the prayer team yesterday on Saturday morning, had this opportunity to go to a free seminar, right, for... Um, Things And I, I want to sort of encourage my son a little bit about some things maybe he could do on the side. And because I've had rental houses in the back, uh, we did on the farm. And I got a couple other properties. My history, I've sort of uh, renovated. And, and I really haven't flipped them yet. It would be nice to flip them if I can try to sell them. But um, I took him to this seminar on flipping houses. I was like, hey, you might want to do that when you get out of college, that kind of thing, you know, because he likes to work with his hands and he wants to be in ministry and he knows he needs some resources on the side because ministry doesn't play all that much. And and so we went and I sat there and I listened to this great seminar and it wasn't an over the top salesman kind of thing. I thought it was a very genuine kind of seminar. It was held over here in wine country. And I was sitting there thinking, wow, makes me want to invest some time into to and real estate investment and proving and seeing resources made. And yeah, God, I could use it with those resources. But God's saying, Carrie, I didn't call you to flip houses. I called you to flip lives. To see lives flip from being lost in this crooked and depraved generation to seeing lives that are changed and transformed. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in on that. I'm in on that, God. If I can do the other thing on the side with my son and encourage him, then so be it. My wife's shaking her head back there. No, I don't want to get into that thing. (laughs) But what about you? This is no seminar. This is no sales pitch. Please, Please don't see this. This is me pleading on behalf of what God's word says through Apostle Paul that you would be able to see people's lives changed. To flip lives. To bring God's word and God's hope and God's Jesus' presence into people's lives and urge them to consider following Jesus. Who do you have on your heart? Who are you praying for? Who are you ministering with? Who, who are maybe you open to? That's a dangerous prayer. God, who would you put on my heart? Who would you put open my eyes that I might see? Oh, I don't, I was just living my little world here. I'm trying to hold things together. It's crazy right now, Jesus. Maybe. Maybe if you had the privilege to not only make your day, but make your life and see somebody come to know Christ, it would right-size the problems you right now have. Because Satan will do this. He'll make you myopic. Oh, poor little me. I got a problem. My friends don't like me. I don't know what I'm going to do about that class. I really don't have enough money to make ends meet. And it becomes this me, me, me kind of world. You were not built for a me, me, me kind of world. You were built for an other's world. And I'm not saying you need to get in front of people, right? I'm just saying you need to be faithful to who God's placing right before you. Someone today. I know this probably sounds like a sales pitch. It's really not. 
These are things that grip my heart, have gripped my heart through my journey as I've surrendered my life to Christ to serve him. There is someone today that unless you become obedient to the Spirit's prompting in your heart, they are going to be outside a vibrant witness for Jesus. And they're crying out. They don't know who they're crying out to, but they're crying out, Lord, is there other... God, if you're there. And God's going to put you in their path. And so Paul was adamant about this. It's got to be this. It's got to be this. So that we may boast on the final day, all of us, that we did not labor in vain, but we stayed at the task of shining like stars in the universe. You can call it what you want. You can call it lifestyle evangelism. You call it witness. You can just talk about being faithful to a person that's beside you or in your life. You know, interceding in prayer, whatever it may be. But we have to turn ourselves inside out. Because we live in a culture in America that gets us to look at ourselves and who we are. What we're doing. What we're building for ourselves. Give your life away. Jesus said that. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and my sake will find it. Paul goes on and says this, verse 17, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. He's in prison, poured out like a drink offering, a sacrifice. That doesn't sound fun, does it? It may not be easy street when you get the heart for being evangelist to be a witness to serve others, to take the evangel into someone else's life. But Paul's saying that there's rejoicing in it because the sacrifice and the service coming from his faith, from their faith, he's glad and he rejoices in it. And he says, you too should be glad and rejoice with me. He's calling them back to the purpose of the gospel of this is our calling in life. And when you, church, engage with it, And Paul's saying, when I engage with it, ministering to prison guards or whoever he's ministering to, there is joy and gladness that comes from it. It won't just make your day to see somebody come to know Jesus. It will make your life. It'll make your life. Now, it's interesting on the heels of this, he steps into the section that I just want to labor into briefly and sort of eh, not too intently, but just sort of an overview. Do any of you like reading other people's mail? Like you walk in a house and the letter's laying around. Do you like to look down? Oh, that's interesting. What about somebody leaves their phone open with a text message or an email? Do you like, oh, I wonder who texted them, right? I'll do it. So don't leave your phone lay around. <laughs> I definitely do it with my kids. I want to know what's going on with them, right? Do you like reading someone else's mail? Because what we're doing here today is we're reading someone else's mail. Get your nose out of that Philippians letter. Paul was writing a very personal letter to some of his friends in Philippi. You could think of it in terms of that sense, but that letter's being read all over the world through all generations. I'm not condoning reading someone else's mail or text, by the way. But you need to understand as we step into this next little section in Philippians that this is a personal letter. I hope in the Lord Jesus, Paul says, 
to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have had no one else like him who has who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So we put our nose into this letter when we realize that Paul has a really, really, really good friend whose name is Timothy. He's younger, sort of mentoring Timothy in some sense, but he has come to love Timothy and knows that Timothy will do the right thing because Timothy, he looks out for other people's interest, not his own. And he's anxious that Timothy um, will have an impact with them there in Philippi. He has a genuine concern for their welfare. Paul, he had his own disciples. They were disciples of Jesus, but they were his own people that he raised up to encourage. I have no one else like him. If you had to fill in the blank on that one, whose name would you put? I have no one else like him. A personal friend, a sojourner, somebody that that takes the gospel of Jesus Christ and not not only maybe preaches it, but lives it out, caring for the poor and reaching out to those who are disadvantaged, putting somebody around inside their arm who is, is going through a state of depression because of a lost job or a financial need or a health concern. I have no one like that. God called us to have good friends, close friends. We can't close, cultivate close friendships with the whole world. I can't cultivate close friendships with all of you here. Though there's days where I'm like, could you just multiply me, God? Because I'd really like to get to know some people better than I really know them. They say, really, on average, you can only have five people that you stay in touch with on a, on a regular basis and know what's happening, the pulse of their life. You're human. Jesus knew that. That's why he said it was to our advantage that he left. Because he says, hey, you're going to do greater things than me when I leave. Because when I leave, I'm going to send my spirit. Because my spirit's going to be in you. And then I can get around everybody and dwell within everybody. It's a much better game plan than me walking around, you know, dragging 12 people along with me everywhere I go. There's limitation to the human physical essence. And, can I say this, the emotional essence. Sometimes you just feel drained emotionally. Why? Because you're human. You don't have an infinite resource of emotions and care to give people like God does through his spirit. But here's Paul, interior of his life, reading his mail. One of his key people is Timothy. And he wants Timothy to do what he did. Take care of the gospel and influence others for Jesus Christ. So he's passing it from one generation to the next. So not only are you interested in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, are you raising your children? Are you influencing your friends that are close to you? That we should be in the business, if I can use that word, of seeing lost people come to know Jesus. Are you more interested in the business of something else? Now, when I went to that seminar yesterday... Some of my pride and joy is I'm sitting with a son who's not going to get all wigged out with going, oh, I need to make money in life. That's why I need to. I know where my son Zach's heart's at. And he wants to influence people for Christ. In fact, today he's at some, where is he at? He's over in, in Ventura. 
with his uh, college uh, campus. He oversees their campus life, compassion ministry, some, and he's at some penitentiary with young adults, I think, trying to influence and encourage them today. Because I know that's his heart. And everybody has their own will. I understand that, friends. I understand that, parents. But we need to be raising up our children to have a heart for lost people. Part of my reason I'm disappointed that you don't get a chance to know Billy Graham. Because he influenced me, though I never knew him personally. He had a passion for people that didn't know Jesus. So do you have a care in that world? And are you actively being a witness and evangelist in your own circles? And are you actively raising up Timothy's? that you're proud of, to be able to send them out to serve God's kingdom. There's nothing better. I'll say there is nothing. I almost stopped, do a little parenting class here, okay? Contain myself. Don't get overboard, Carrie. Okay. I am amazed by how we as parents so easily train our kids and encourage them to do all kinds of things in life. Sports, music, all that's fine. But we don't raise them up to be godly witnesses in their world. Where do I send them? Well, send send them to camps. Get them in youth group. Get around sharp people. But do we actively have a mindset as parents that we are raising up, not the future generation of evangelists, but the present generation of evangelists? What Billy Graham did is a passing of an era. You don't have evangelists that travel, put up tents in downtown L.A. and have tens upon tens of thousands of people show up. It's a different day. He can do that. God can. But it's much more of what I say is an incarnational, living out your faith every day. School, work, Social arenas. It's life on life encounter. Jesus spent all of his time. Yeah, he spoke to crowds. He brought truth. He performed miracles. Jesus spent the majority of his time with how many people? Twelve. Multiplication. And it begins in our home, in our families. And if you don't have a family... Grab some brothers or sisters around you. Say, let's just start meeting and studying the Bible. How can we interface? How can we start praying for people that that we know that don't know Jesus? Take the agenda on. Take the agenda on. Verse 22, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. That's why. Oh, now I see it. That's why he really liked Timothy. I have no one like him. Not that he just looked at other people's interests and not his own, but he partnered with him in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But it wasn't just Timothy. I'm going to keep reading his mail. Oh, who's this person? But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epiphanes, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, and he almost died. 
Must have picked up something when he came to visit Paul in prison. But God had mercy on him and not on, not on him only, but also on me to spare me the sorrow upon sorrow of losing someone like him. So here's a second person. Not as well known. In fact, this man's name doesn't appear anywhere else in scripture except here in this personal email of Paul. But he knew who he was and he knew his heart because he was a brother, a co-worker, a soldier, and a messenger in the gospel. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him. He decided he was going to send him back. I don't need him to stay here. He brought me a gift. Appreciate it. He almost died. He got sick. And you guys are all freaked out now about his life. And I I was concerned about him. So I'm sending him back to you in Philippi. Eager to send him back so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him to the Lord in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This is a very, very personal letter. It's about relationships. Life really is. One-on-one groups, going to the AR workshop to do a craft, whatever it may be. Be invested with your life into other people's life. Even if you're an introvert, you can have a couple, three people that you get to know. And see if they can become like a Timothy or an Epiroditus. Individuals who are dear to you. Not only because they're a friend of you and are interested in your interest and taking care of you and encouraging you, but because you together as a team of people are interested in the things of what God's interested in. Who would God be laying on your heart to be a witness to, to take the evangel? We're all called. And who is God asking you to partner with, to influence, to mentor, so that they too can join in on the beauty of evangelism? I said that I had two intersections in my life with this man, Billy Graham. I did go to a couple of crusades. I did commit my life to Christ when I uh, got done watching him on television when I was younger. But Billy Graham brought together evangelists from around the world to train them as well, just like the Timothys. And so in 1983, which I know is a few years ago for some of you, and in 1986, as well as the year 2000, he held a conference 83-86 was Amsterdam, the Netherlands, brought together evangelists from around the world. And he preached to those evangelists at Amsterdam 86. You see that banner there on the right? That's a picture of the banners that hung around that place. I had the opportunity to go and be a part of that conference and convention in 1986. You want to talk about a treat. People from every language, tribe, and nation. Not just people. Evangelists who had kindred heart, kindred spirit. I wanted one of those banners. I got one of those banners. And if we hadn't moved a year ago and still have boxes not yet opened, I would have brought it before you. I would have hung it up here. (laughs) Amsterdam 86. 
I was uh, a young man in graduate school at the time. Pierce, how old are you? 22? That's about my age, 22, 23. And I was invited to go. I actually had my way paid by someone I'll talk about in a second. I went and I heard Billy Graham and many other evangelists lead a heart of brokenness and compassion for people who needed to know that God loved them and that Jesus died for them. It quickened my spirit. I actually went to graduate school because I wanted to be an evangelist. I wanted to travel and speak. Now, since then, God's showed me that that's a very challenging life. And in one sense, I'm glad that I've been able to do evangelism through local churches instead. But the heart of an evangelist, God has put in me. And there was a Timothy that had been sort of influenced by Billy Graham in some ways that had been invited to speak at the conference. And am I frozen back there with my slides? His name was Ravi Zacharias. Some of you know Ravi. There's a very young picture of Ravi. He spoke at Amsterdam 86 on the lostness of man. You can find it on YouTube. Lostness of man, Amsterdam 86. Ravi Zacharias listened to it. I started listening to part of it again this week, and I was like inspired all over again. Ravi was my professor at seminary at the time, but he was an evangelist. He was only there for a period of a few years, and then he went back down. He literally, he speaks to hundreds of thousands of people around the world today. Some people think he's sort of Billy Graham's replacement, but he's much more angled towards apologetics as well as the evangelism. But um, Ravi paid my way to go to Amsterdam 86. When I went to graduate school, he knew I had a heart for evangelism. I was influenced by Billy Graham's Timothy, if you will. Lord, may I not just get caught up in doing the church business, but may I retain the heart of an evangelist as a pastor, and may I lead my people to be an evangelist. Listen to Robbie's words as he reflected on Billy Graham's passing away this week. He was speaking, Ravi was. Hello, friends. This is Ravi Zacharias. I'm talking to you today, freshly having received the news of the passing of the great evangelist, Billy Graham. There are so many things I could say, and many great tributes are flowing in. I'm sure they're going to flow in from all over the world, especially even from our past presidents who held him in the highest esteem and the highest respect. Uh, two or three things I want to say to you. I had the privilege of meeting Billy Graham twice, uh, once in Amsterdam 83 and once in Amsterdam 86. Uh, he was not able to make it for Amsterdam 2000. He had taken ill for that. But you know, uh, a few centuries ago, one of the greatest evangelists of that time, John Wesley, was asked what the secret was to great evangelistic preaching. And he made a comment. He said it is to combine, combine simplicity with sublimity, to combine the simple with the sublime. I don't know of anybody who combined that as well as Billy Graham did. Uh, somebody once asked Mr. Graham uh, when he transitioned from his message to his invitation. And he said, uh, I do not transition to the invitation. I start with the invitation. The moment I open my mouth, uh, that is the beginning of the invitation. I think that was a testimonial to how he preached, why he thought the way he did, 
On one occasion, I believe someone asked him if he knew why one particular message had not gone well. And he immediately replied, saying one of his closest colleagues had spoken to him and said, Billy, there was one thing missing in your message today, and that was uh, the cross. You did not get to the cross of Jesus Christ at all. And Billy Graham made the commitment at that point that he was never, ever going to preach a sermon without a reference to the cross, because that is at the heart of the gospel. On one occasion, when I heard him speak, I was in Atlanta, Georgia, and we were in that huge, massive arena. Jimmy Carter was present. Coretta Scott King was present. The president of CNN was there. And I was sitting on the platform with some of these people. And for the first time, I was on a platform watching the invitation taking place. It was like a waterfall of people coming down every staircase. And as they just came gathering at the front uh, at the invitation and Billy in his usual stance of just his head bowed in prayer, I was seeing everything that I had heard about the man, that he was the great inviter. He invited people. People responded to his invitation because they saw authenticity, anointing and power in the combination of the simple and the sublime. But he was a great prayer warrior. In fact, the first time we met in Amsterdam 83, I joined him and Cliff Barrows and Leighton Ford and the others in the back room. I was as nervous as could I could possibly be to be with these men of whom I had heard so much, but for the first time was sitting next to them in a room. Most of their time was spent in prayer, preparing for the meeting that was to follow. I think Billy Graham's legacy will be just that people never needed to say anything else about him. The way he was introduced was so beautiful. Us lesser lights, about whom people knew absolutely nothing, were being given long, glowing introductions, which made us feel uncomfortable as we sat on the platform. But when Billy Graham was introduced, Cliff Barrows would just stand up and say, here's Billy Graham, because everybody knew who he was and how he had been used of God. Uh, I will miss that voice. In Amsterdam 2000, when he couldn't make it, they played a series of highlights from his preaching over the years in the 50s. It was spellbinding. It was spellbinding. You sat and watched those highlights of the great crusades from England and India and other parts of the world. I think it is said that in one audience in Nagaland, he may have had a live audience of a million. I'm not 100% sure, but I think that was the case because the picture was in his office in Minneapolis itself, a sea of people. Uh, Billy, uh, you will be missed. There will never be another Billy Graham. Uh, no one person can ever take your place, Billy, but God's hand was upon you. He chose you. He anointed you. Somebody said to me, at the meeting here this morning where I was speaking at Liberty University, they said this, that uh, outside of the Apostle Paul, maybe Billy Graham would be that uh, light that shone so brightly across the whole landscape of uh, our globe and human history. Well, that's quite a tribute to be paid. Many of his uh, family members are known to me, Anne Graham Lotz, a dear friend, Franklin Graham, a dear friend. To you as a family, we stand with you. Uh, I had the privilege of corresponding with their mom, which was Ruth. We were both F.W. Borum fans. But in the support she gave to her husband, Billy, it was a testimonial to how everybody saw him. The world has lost a real saint and a real hero. But it was time for God to call him home. He wrote so much about heaven. He even wrote about angels. 
and Billy is now in the presence of the Savior whom he proclaimed and to whom he invited tens of thousands to become followers. Of one thing I am sure, whatever accolades people would have given to him and any crowns they wanted to place on him, he would have taken them all and placed it at the feast, at the feet of his Lord and Savior. We will remember him. I'm so privileged to have lived at a time where I met the man, heard the man, was in the presence of the man, but most appointedly and anointedly, he was a man appointed and anointed by the Holy Spirit. For that, we will all remember him. John Wesley was given many, many accolades, and at his monument in Aldersgate in London are the words, Sinner, if you are tempted to praise the instrument, stop and give God the glory. And so we give glory to God for the life of Billy Graham. This is Ravi Zacharias just bidding you all a pleasant good day from here as you reflect on this life. The best thing I could say to you is this. If you really don't know Jesus Christ, invite him into your life. He is your Lord and your Savior offering himself for you. Thank you for giving me a hearing. In that vein, I'd like to close with an invitation to you. An invitation, as I've preached on, that you would consider doing the work of an evangelist. Be a witness. In deed and in word. To raise up Timothys. Mentor people with a heart to reach lost people. But an invitation also to know Jesus. I encourage you this week to watch some of the news or I'm sure some of the cable thing will actually have his, his funeral service on it. He's lying in repose in his childhood home that is in uh, North Carolina. Visitation for two days and then his body is going to be taken this week, I believe, to the Capitol building and lie in honor in the Capitol Rotunda for two days. And then on Friday, they're putting up a big tent in the parking lot of where his library is at. 1,200 people, I think, are going to be invited. That would be a special guest list. I'm sure that funeral service on Friday will be broadcast live. And whether you were touched by Billy Graham in your life and you know him, or whether you were clueless as to who Billy was today, I encourage you to get to know who he was. He was a special man that God used in our midst. But as Robbie gave the John Wesley quote, not about him, to God be the glory. When I was a eight-year-old, they closed with the hymn, Just As I Am. When I was 22, 23, that same invitation was given believe it or not, to 10,000 evangelists. You're like, really? I thought everybody there was saved. Billy didn't know. We're going to have an invitation for people to come to place their faith in Jesus. 
So why not at a church where the vast majority of us are believers? Would we not pause to have an invitation? The words of this hymn go like this. Just as I am without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bids me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Just as I am and waiting not. To rid my soul of one dark blot. To thee whose blood can cleanse each spot. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings within and fears without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, poor, wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind. Yes, all I need in thee to find, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, thy love unknown has broken every barrier down. Now to be thine, yea, thine alone, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. That great hymn is great not just because Billy made it popular by using it at the close of every crusade he did, but because it reflects on the condition that you and your friends and your family members need to have in order to come to Jesus. You just come just as you are. You don't clean up your life You don't try to change your friend's life. You just tell them they need to come to Jesus just as they are. How many times would have Billy Graham preached on that John 3.16 verse? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. For Jesus, God did not send send His Son Jesus into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through Him. And then the John 1 passage, 12 but to as many as received him, to those he gave the right to become children of God. Friends, that's the good news we have to share. It's not a religion. They don't have to clean their act up. You don't have to clean your act up. This is not about getting enough works to weigh the scales so God gives you the nod to get into heaven. The only way you get into heaven. Even Billy says the only way he was going to get into heaven today or this week was not because he preached to millions of people, but because he was a sinner and Jesus had come into his life and saved him. How about you this morning? Just as you are. Will you pray to commit your life to Jesus Christ? If you've never done that before, I want to lead you in a prayer. And then we're going to close. But this is a sacred moment. I've prayed for this moment this week. I know not who. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm not going to do like a Billy Graham crusade and have you come forward. Many churches have done that. But I am going to ask you, if you doubt, if you died tonight, if you would be in God's heaven, because you're trying to make it there yourself, or maybe you just have been double-minded and you're not sure about your salvation, or maybe you've never even heard the good news, the evangel that Jesus Christ 
died for you because God loves you and he sent his son so that you could have the forgiveness of your sins. If you want to receive Jesus this morning just as you are, I'm going to invite you to stand. With heads bowed, and I'm going to pray across this room. Is there anyone? I believe this week with the funeral and a lot of things that will be televised, more people are going going to come to know Jesus Christ through Billy Graham's ministry. Maybe more through his death than anybody would have thought. Yes, anyone else? Just stand. I know it's a bold step. But Jesus called his followers to take bold steps. Anyone else across this room today? Whether standing or seating in your heart, pray this prayer with me if you want to be a follower of Jesus this morning. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for coming and dying for me. Jesus Christ, I repent of my sin. Known sin, unknown sin. Sins of actions and sin of apathy. I repent and I invite you to come into my life. I believe in you, Jesus. I want you to be my Savior and to be my Lord. And from this day forward to seek to live for you as you enable me. Thank you, Jesus. You're standing. You may be seated. Just as you are. Amen and amen. It's not that big of a challenge to lead someone in a prayer to receive Jesus because it's not the words. It's the disposition of the heart. And for you who made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ, welcome in to the Lord's kingdom today. Amen and amen.